0: Hello again everyone and welcome to another episode of the J.C. Hoops Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Collier. Today's episode is sponsored by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. CJ's has locations in Fayetteville on Weddington and in Russellville on North Arkansas Avenue. Online ordering is available at their Fayetteville location and CJ's has been voted best burger and fries in the state, fulfilling their motto, when all you do are burgers, they have to be the best. I've got a great show today with a good friend of mine and a familiar face to Arkansas fans, Aaron Torres. How's it going, man?
1: Jackson, my man, it's going good. How you doing,
0: man? Like you just said a minute ago, I, I can't complain, but nobody want to hear it anyway. Oh, stop! I was just giving you a hard time. No, that's <laughs> what I, I, I
1: always, I always joke with people about that. Of like, you know, uh, everyone. Oh, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Is there anyone more annoying and lame? than the person when you're like, hey man, how you doing? Oh, I've been better. I'm alright. I'm fine. Like, dude, just say you're fine. We all got our own problems to deal with. And, uh, yeah, so I hope you're doing well in all seriousness. We were joking off air. There's no one more lame than the guy, the guy that you ask, how you doing? And say, they, they don't give you the answer other than, I'm doing fine, man. So I, I'm glad to be on. I appreciate you having me. And, uh, yeah, man, it's good to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's been a while since we talked Hog Hoos. we got a lot to catch up on.
1: Yeah, a lot
0: to catch up on, yep. So, uh, Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe, first off, are <laughs> officially gone. <laughs> we uh, we yeah. had kind of been in limbo on, at least with Isaiah Joe, because Mason Jones yeah. we pretty much knew. Um, Isaiah Joe now officially gone, so they're both gone. Do you think either or both of them gets drafted?
1: It's really funny, uh, Jackson. I swear, I prob- of everything that I've ever covered in my career, I think I've been asked more questions about Isaiah Joe uh, than literally anything I've ever been asked. (laughs) Because obviously when the draft process starts in March, it doesn't end until August. Um, and you know he was obviously one of the last players to declare that he was coming back, and then of course he was the only player to declare in that two-week window that he was actually going to go pro. Uh, it's been a surreal. It's been a surreal seven months in my relationship with Isaiah Joe, and I've never even met the guy. <laughs> um, to, answer, to answer your question, yeah, no, I listen. First of all, what I would say is this: NBA draft is so unprecedented, and so to make definitive, sweeping statements about it, you know, even now, even six months, seven months after the season ended, and really even still a full month and a half, two months before the actual draft itself. Uh, It feels weird to make sweeping statements. You know, I was talking to uh, somebody that works pretty high in scouting for uh, an NBA team this weekend. We were just kind of talking about how unpredictable this draft is going to be because it isn't the traditional draft where you're going to have – You know, where you're going to have 15, 20, 25 guys that we all agree are definitive first-rounders and, you know, can't miss guys. You know, I mean, I think once you get past Anthony Edwards, Obi Toppin, um, and even those guys are a little bit divisive, the draft is really wide open. And, you know, you look at the guys that could go in the third, fourth, fifth spot, seventh, eighth, ninth, whatever – Isaac Okoro from Auburn, I mean, he had a very good freshman year, but, I mean, he's not a guy that you watched and felt like, okay, that guy's a definitive top-ten pick. Uh, Onyeka Kongwu who played at USC right down the road from me, very good player, but, you know, he kind of projects out, even the people that like him kind of project him out as a role player. So, as it pertains to Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones, you know, I think that, to me, that opens up the opportunity for those guys because, look, I think when you look at each of them individually, one, Isaiah Joe has a very definitive skill that translates to the NBA at this particular moment in time, and that is three-point shooting. And you watch these NBA playoffs, and look, yeah, there are the star players that, that have that have taken this league by storm. Not only the LeBrons and the Kawhis and the Anthony Davises, but guys like Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, etc., and the common denominator is they can all shoot the you-know-what out of the ball. Um, and mm-hmm. so to me, when I look at all of the teams that have had success in this NBA bubble, you got to be able to shoot, and even if it is the 7th, 8th guy off the bench, you got to be able to shoot there as well. So I think Isaiah Joe definitively will find a role, or will get drafted, and, and probably find a role in the NBA. And I will say, I'm, I'm higher on Mason Jones than a lot of people as well. And it's not just because of the Arkansas tie, and I know that I do a lot of, you know, I I do hits during the week in Arkansas on radio, and I do a lot of podcasts like yours, Jackson. But, you know, I think when I look at at Mason Jones, he has an ability, like Isaiah Joe, it's a little bit of a different style, but Mason Jones has an ability to put the ball in the basket. And when when I both look at the NBA and I look at the draft and I look at where we're at, um, you know, I think when you get to the second round, when you get to the late first round, and I'm not saying by any means that I think Mason Jones is a first-rounder, but, you know, you're looking for guys that can do one particular thing well, whatever it is, right? Sometimes it's rebounding. Sometimes it's hustle. Sometimes it's energy. Uh, sometimes it's three-point shooting. Sometimes it's rim protection. And Mason Jones can put the ball in the basket. And, like, like when you have 20-foot game in the SEC – I don't care what you know what you do on the defensive end, what you do anywhere else. Like that is a skill that translates to the NBA, and so I certainly think Isaiah Cho gets drafted. I do think Mason Jones gets drafted, and I actually like how both of them fit in the modern NBA. Uh, I don't think either of them's going to be a superstar, but listen, you know, uh, Jackson. There's a lot of guys in the NBA that are role players that that uh, that fill a spot that are the eighth, ninth, tenth guy on the team. That make a lot more money than you and I do, Jackson. And so I look at yeah, seriously, and I, and I I mean that, and I and I look at both of these guys, and I do feel like they have the skills required to find a role in that team.
0: Oh yeah, no, I, I pretty much agree with everything you just said, and then two of the biggest knocks I think on Jones and Joe, and, and reasons why people might have wanted them to come back, or why <clears throat> excuse me, different scouts or or their feedback might have been to come back. Isaiah Joe needed some more skills offensively other than just shooting the ball. And, you, and we saw we saw some of that last year. He was scoring off the bounce. He showed some athleticism and, and even posterized a couple people last year, which surprised me. Uh, Mason Jones needed to lose some more weight. He, he did an incredible job uh, as soon as Musk got hired and dropped a lot of weight. Even before then, uh, under Mike Anderson, too, he's transformed his entire body uh, in the past two or three years. Uh, but still could have uh, developed some more athleticism and, and gotten better on the defensive end. But what those two guys have done, being away from the program too, though, is Mason Jones has dropped a lot of weight, just yep. e- even more so. And he's looking very, not like frailly thin, but thin and a- thin and athletic enough to where he he's, looks yep. like he could potentially play somewhat close to the rim instead of hovering below the rim like he was in college. And Isaiah Joe, he just looks like he's added so much muscle mass. When you when you watched him play in college, you know he's very skinny, not not very big at all. Just typical spot up shooter type build, but. Ever, ever since he declared, it looks like he's put on some muscle mass to try to prepare himself for, for an NBA-type uh, schedule where you're playing 72-plus games if you make the playoffs on uh, multiple multiple games a week and stuff. So it, it looks like even though they had specific areas they needed to work on, they're also hitting just the optics and, and the, the physicality that they need to do to translate as well.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny because I, I, I was chuckling when you mentioned the Mason Jones stuff because I've noticed it, too, and, you know, I follow him on Instagram, and that's where we get all of our information these days. Um, and, you know, I've talked to people in basketball circles as well since the season ended, of course, and I think that's been a, a surprising thing with Mason Jones is, you know, he's a guy that um, I know all the Arkansas fans know his background, but I was amazed when I had him on my podcast shortly after the season and He talked about being you know, close to 300 pounds when he was in high school and really looking himself in the mirror and saying, you know, there's, there's a better life out there for me. And so I bring it all up because I just feel like it's a situation where he really does understand what he has to do to succeed at that level. And it's the same with Isaiah Joe. And one thing I'll say, uh, Jackson, and I know most Arkansas fans know this, but you know, I've been around Coach Muss a lot, you know, dating back to his Nevada days before he got to Arkansas. And it really is, um, you know, he brings an NBA mindset to that facility, into that locker room, into that weight room, into that practice gym every single day. And so I I think it rubbed off on those guys. And and the one thing I'll say about the staff, and I know you know this, but is that, you know, what what, – They'll never tell a kid, you need to come back or you need to stay. Most, most Honestly, frankly, most staffs in college basketball don't at this point. They, they don't tell a kid, you need to come back, because every kid's in a little bit of a different scenario. But what they do do is give you the best information that they can get from their sources in the NBA about what you need to work on and what you need to be successful in, in the professional ranks. in the NBA, you know, he's got a, a, a laundry list of contacts in that league and in professional basketball, not only in the NBA, but in the, the, the G League and overseas and all that stuff.
0: Sure, and those two obviously were the focal point of the Razorback offense last year. I mean, they combined to average close to 40 points a game between the two of them. Um, and then you add in Jimmy Witt, and that's most of your entire offense and your scoring output. And, and and with Desi Seals, too, and we'll come back to him later. But without those two coming back, the Razorbacks are going to need to find some really new sources of offense. Uh, who are some of your favorites to lead the way? And I know you're really high on Vance Jackson and most yeah. of the fan base is too, but who who outside of Vance, and maybe even speak a little bit on Vance too for those who might know him as well as you do.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'll start with Vance. And, you know, what I would say is <laughs> it's really funny. Um, you know, he grew up literally about 10 minutes from where I live right now in Pasadena, California. Um, you know, he actually went to my alma mater, UConn, his freshman year. Uh, I did not know him or his family at that point, but I've gotten to know his dad. Just you know how it is, JC. When you're in the, the the gym, you meet people and you come across people. And I've just gotten to know Vance Senior uh, over the last couple of years. And so, listen, do I have a little bit of a relationship with the family? Maybe, but it doesn't skew how I feel about the kid. And the kid is, as every uh, as every Arkansas fan knows, um, we're talking about a kid that was a former top 50 prospect. And what I would say is is that, yes, he's a fifth year senior, yes, I think that in a perfect world, you know, he'd be competing professionally right now, but I think we also have to look at the circumstances in which he's been in. And I say this as a UConn fan. When he went to UConn, it was not an ideal situation for him. First of all, uh, moving all the way across the country, um, you know, 3,000 miles away, it's an adjustment. It's hard. It's not easy for anybody make a move like that um, and then beyond that it was kind of righted toward the tail end of the Kevin Olley era when it was clear that despite winning a national championship in 2014 that he wasn't the long term answer and you know there was some stuff that went on behind the scenes in that program that you know whether I'm privy to say it or not it was not the most conducive place for a kid to be successful in basketball let alone an 18 year old freshman that's 3,000 miles away from home then he goes to New Mexico. Um, you know, Paul Weir, I think, is a really sharp young guy. He's the head coach in New Mexico. For people don't know, but there were problems off the court with that program last year. Uh, Carlton Brad was thrown off the team during the season. Uh, um, you know, I'm trying to think. JJ Caldwell was thrown off the team during the season. How about this, JC? Do you know this story about Jaquan Lyle, who sat out of a, uh, sat out of a game because of an injury? Um, and threw a party that night at an airbnb and there was a shooting at the party that he threw mm-hmm. on the same the same night that he said he couldn't play yep. so i mean does that sound you know does that sound like the type of place that is going to be conducive uh to having basketball success and so no. with that, you know, <laughs> yeah exactly well yeah i i hope everyone will come to the same conclusion that you would jc because i feel the same way as you man it's like Dude, you know, it's just, you know, sometimes life is so much about circumstances. And that's not to say that Vance that doesn't need to improve and be more consistent. And I've talked to a lot of people that were out in the New Mexico program, but they say he's a good kid, a little bit inconsistent. You know, he needs to bring it every single night. You know, he needs to, you know, kind of keep his head, keep his head on straight in the sense that if he misses a few shots, it's not the end of the world. I'm not saying that he's a player that's without flaw. But I think that the the upside is through the roof still, which sounds weird. You're talking about a fifth-year senior who I still think has a lot of upside. And then the thing that I've been saying, Jetson, is you know, I just look at his situation and I look at Coach Muss, and, and, and I've said this since the day he committed back in April or May or whenever it was, is that yeah, I just think that, that, that players that thrive under Coach Muss are guys that have a chip on their shoulder, that aren't afraid. You know, he's a tough guy to play for. But if you're not afraid to play for him, if you're not intimidated, he's going to push you to your brink. But if you're not afraid of that, if you're not intimidated by that, if you have a chip on your shoulder, if you have something to prove, um, you know, those are the kind of guys that succeed under him, whether it is the Martin twins that, were, that played for him at Nevada who both played in the NBA last season for the Charlotte Hornets, whether it is Mason Jones, who we all know um, – You know, plays with a chip on his shoulder every single time he takes the court, whether it is other guys from Nevada, whether it is guys dating back to Coach Muss's time in the G League or the NBA or whatever, those are the kind of guys that have success under Coach Muss. And so we can get to the rest of the roster in a minute, but I I just look at Vance and I I think he's a guy I really do think fringe all-SEC guy. so you're talking about maybe a third-team all-SEC guy, I think he can be consistent in the scoring column. And then the other thing I think that's important is especially now that Isaiah Joe is gone, um, they're going to need him to produce. And I think sometimes as a basketball player, that's the greatest motivator that you can have is to know, I'm the veteran, I'm the leader, I'm the guy that this team is counting on. And I know that Arkansas has a lot of depth this year more than they have, but I think that that's kind of a mental um, you know, positive for Vance Jackson is like, he knows this team needs him. He isn't a guy excuse me, that could get lost in the shuffle the way that he did in New Mexico last year. This team needs him. I think he will thrive in that role. And I'm just really excited to see him play this year under Coach
0: Muss and, and everybody else that he's going to be teammates with at Arkansas. And to add a little bit to that, too, I had David Patrick on a few episodes ago, and I was talking to him about Vance. And, and he'd mentioned that one of the biggest, maybe not even a surprise, but just one of the the best parts about bringing Vance in is the fact that he came in and he is immediately taking over a leadership role. Like he is taking, he's taken the reins of this team and it's kind of developed into Vance's team now. He's coaching up the younger guys and he's kind of taking charge uh, of the entire roster, including the, the transfers who were here last year, the returning guys like Desi Sills and Ethan Henderson, and and the other graduate transfers too. He's just kind of taken it upon himself to be the leader. And and that's not to say that there aren't other leaders on a team because you normally need to have more than one true leader on on a basketball team. But everything uh, Coach Patrick said was that, yeah, Vance is really taking it upon himself to coach along these younger guys at, at the very least just to try to help develop the culture that they're trying to set here.
1: Well, and let me just jump in one last thing, and and that insight from Coach Patrick sounds awesome. Uh, I I still have not gone back and completely listened to that interview, and I want to because I know it's going to be a great one. Um, One other just thought I have on Vance Jackson, too, is that, you know, one, it's what you just said. It's about leadership. Two, it's what I said about having a chip on his shoulder. Three, like, I don't know if I sold that this kid is a really good basketball player, okay? Okay. So I was talking to somebody that coached against him in the Mountain West when he was in the Mountain West, uh, and it wasn't anybody that was with you know not not anybody that's at Arkansas now. So it was somebody that 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 is independent of the guys that are at Arkansas that were with Coach Muss at Nevada, and they told me when he hit the transfer portal, like the, the, it was like the, the the slot machine lighting up of saying like we got to go get this guy, and obviously Coach Muss was the one that sealed the deal, but. You know, I I had a coach tell me like when we played him in the Mountain West, we thought he was an NBA caliber player. So, you know, your point on leadership is super important, and that is going to be a big part of the success or failure of this program. With so few returnees, as you just alluded to, basically it's just Desi Sills and Ethan Henderson, unless I'm missing somebody. Um, And there's also the sit-out transfers too. But I also don't want to undersell. Like I said a minute ago, top 50 player and coaches that have coached. I get that out there as well it's not all about you know uh um you know yay rah rah speeches in the locker room being a leader and being a tough guy like this kid can play now too and i i can't wait to go back and listen to your conversation with coach patrick but i didn't want to undersell the fact that he's a very talented
0: basketball player as well oh yeah and he's you can look at film on him from anywhere he's played or even just the the film that the the arkansas social media accounts are putting out He's got a legitimate skill set to play the point forward at six foot nine, and he can shoot the three ball pretty pretty consistently around thirty five plus percent. So I mean, he is yep. legitimately uh, what some fans and what some of my sources that I've talked to have said that he's essentially like a six foot nine Mason Jones.
1: Yeah, let me um, jump in real quick, Jackson. It's really funny because I do want to hit on one last point on Vance, and I promise I'll, I'll let you take the conversation <laughs> where you want to from there. But it was funny because when he committed, um, you know, listen, I understand Arkansas fans are focused on their program and and the SEC, and they probably don't watch, you know, a ton of Mountain West basketball. I get it. Um, But a lot of them, obviously, thinking about last season, the 2019-2020 season, the lack of size, you know, they came to me and they said, so is this guy going to play the five for us? Is he going to, you know, start over Connor Vanover? Uh, Is he going to play alongside Connor Vanover? And and you know that was and, and I think Arkansas fans by now everyone's watched the film everyone's you know listen to your podcast read reports done whatever they know that but it was funny like like the day he committed I I mean I probably had six seven eight DMs saying tell us about this kid is he is he the center that we were missing last year I said no the kid can <laughs> handle the ball he can create his own offense he can he can hit jumpers he has three point range. And, you know, you bring up the Mason-Jones comp, and I think it's such an important point, Jackson, is like not to say that they're exact replicas of each other because they're not. You know, Mason's about 6'5", 6'6", whatever. Uh, But, you know, the one thing that has been consistent about Coach Moss pretty much, at least since he's gotten to college, I'd be lying if I said I remember his time in the NBA and certainly not in the G League or, you know, the minor leagues. But, you know, since Coach Moss has gotten to, 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 to the college level, he has always, very consistently, put the ball in his best player's hands and on offense let them go make plays. We talked about Mason Jones. I referenced a minute ago the Martin twins, Cody and Caleb Martin at Nevada. Say what you want about Coach Musk, good, bad, indifferent. If you're a playmaker, if you're a guy that can get buckets, as Mason Jones found out last year, Coach Moss is going to put the ball in your hands and let you go. And I do think Vance Jackson, even at 6'9", can take over some of that playmaking responsibility despite his size and the fact that, as you said, he's about a, you know, it's a stretch four, stretch five in some cases. But he is, in fact, a
0: playmaker as well. Oh, for sure. That's one of my favorite parts about uh, Vance's game. And talking about playing the five, there there are some lineups. I mean, the, the fact that this roster has so much depth uh, and, and so much more size than they did last year, you you could find legitimate lineups where you put Vance at the five, not stick him in the post, but the five being like your tallest player on the court. You can have you can have just Justin Smith play at the actual low post, but you you could have Vance as your tallest guy and still not worry about rebounding. Could, because Vance can rebound, Justin Smith can rebound, all, all those guys, and then you, you know that Muss is going to coach the fundamentals, you're going to box out, he's not going to send anybody uh, running down the court, you're going to have all five guys fighting for the board. Um, getting away from Vance, I, I could talk about Vance and his game and, and what he <laughs> what he brings to the table for an entire episode, but that'll have to be another day. <laughs> so, sure, so, sure, yeah. So getting to, I'm not
1: going anywhere. So if you need me, you know, if, if we want to do the, the Vance Jackson-specific podcast uh, in November, December,
0: January, you know where to find me, my man. But go ahead. Go to whatever the next topic you want to hit on it. Well, just any other uh, players, I think that was the initial question, was any yep. other uh, players on roster you think are going to be the, the significant sources of scoring to replace Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the obvious ones are the two guys that I know everyone's excited about: um, Justin Smith, grad transfer from Indiana, and Moses Moody, uh, the freshman. Right? Like, I mean, and, and you know, the thing is with the Isaiah Joe news, and like, like, so, like, with well, the Isaiah Joe news, right? Like, like, it sucks, right? I feel bad for Arkansas fans, but listen, we all watch sports, we all played sports when we were kids. What does your coach tell you when something happens? Next man up. Next man up. If up. If yes, your sir. Opportunity, yeah, and it's like, you know, I look at especially like right now where we are in football, Jackson, with all the COVID cases and this guy's opting out and that guy's this and this guy can't play. It's like, dude, there's a bunch of guys in that locker room and football salivating about the opportunity that they now have because you know, say, Jamar Chase opted out of the season at LSU. Well, guess what? There's some. There's a couple wide receivers at LSU stand right now, this is my chance to shine. And when I you know, kind of transition to the basketball perspective. Like, that's kind of how I feel about Moses Moody. Is like, I just think that that kid is looking in the mirror and saying, like, wait a second now, I was sitting, you know, I, I was potentially, you know, they, I'm sure they would have found a way to play them together, but I, I was playing, you know, either with a similar position to a potential first-round NBA draft pick. And I myself believe I'm a first-round NBA draft pick, and this is my moment to shine. And so I'm really excited to watch him. I'm really excited to watch Justin Smith. I'll tell you, the guy that I'm intrigued about more than anybody, uh, J.C., is that, you know, and and I don't have an answer on it, is Jalen Tate. Um, Sometimes, a lot of times, frankly, I worry about a step up in competition from, from a place where he's coming from to a place like Arkansas. I'm not as worried about it with Vance Jackson because he did play at UConn. He did play in some big games, and he's a former top 50 recruit. He can play. Jalen Tate, I just don't know enough about. You know, I've talked a lot to a lot of people across basketball. Some people think it's going to be a seamless transition. Some people are saying what I just said a minute ago is that you know he's a big point guard. Coach Muss loves putting the ball in a kid like that's hands and letting him make plays. Others of them have said you know it's it's not an easy jump from the league that he was in to the SEC. So he's the guy that I'm probably most interested in coming into this season. Um, but to answer your question about scoring, I mean, I think the obvious ones are Moses Moody, and I think it's, it's Justin Smith, too. And Justin Smith kind of does have that Vance Jackson DNA where, you know, he had success at Indiana. Um, you know, he, he scored a lot, but clearly he thought something was missing, and he wasn't being either developed, he wasn't being, you know, showcasing a skill set that he believed that he had. And I, I hate to keep belaboring the same point, JC, but like, you know, that's the thing about Muss, is like, Muss is, you know, you talked about the depth on the team, but Muss is a competitive, prove-it guy. He will put the best players on the court that are ready to compete and that are going to help him win. And so, with Justin Smith, obviously, is a fifth-year senior, I don't even know if he's a fifth-year senior. I know he's a grad transfer. I don't know if he's a fifth-year guy or fourth-year guy. But the point is, is that it's obviously his last chance at this college basketball thing, too, And like I just said a minute ago, it does feel like for whatever reason, uh, he didn't feel like he was going to be showcased properly in Indiana, and he is now at Indiana, or he is now at Arkansas, excuse me, and Coach Moss is giving him the platform, giving him the stage to go out and prove whatever you think that you weren't able to do at Indiana, you can do it right here. And so, to answer your question, I think I've said it like seven times now, but... (laughs) I think, I, I think Moses Moody and Justin Smith are the guys that are going to take on the scoring load the most. Neither of them is the playmaker, I don't think, with the ball in their hands the way that Mason Jones was. And then to kind of go in a different direction, I am just very intrigued to watch Jalen Tate. I think he'll play really well there, but I just he, he's one that I just don't know enough about. I've watched the film, I've talked to people, but I just need to see how it translates at the, at the SEC and high major level.
0: So Jalen Tate is a guy that, whenever he committed, a lot of fans, myself included, thought, "All right, that's our Jimmy Witt for this year. He's going to fill that same role. He's a he's a good defender. Uh, he's a tall, uh, lanky point guard uh, who can dribble the ball and doesn't force many outside shots." Looking at his statistics, you know he he's a fairly competent three point shooter before his his injury last year, um, and he's. He was, I forget what conference they were in, but he was all defense. And I think he won defensive player of the yep. year. Um, and, and defense translates. He's So he's still going to be an elite level defender in the SEC. The, the issue will be, can he shoot around the same 32, 33% from that three-point line that he was doing pre-injury? Um, can he still handle the ball against SEC defenses when he's on offense? Uh, can he facilitate like he was... <clears throat> at his previous stop and that's going to determine his playing time like you said muss is a prove it kind of guy if tate yep. can he'll be on the floor if he can't he won't be uh, we saw that last year with gene talsilla he, he didn't play uh-huh. uh, the roster last year didn't have any size and he opted to play agio bailey at the five instead of playing someone who had more size and more scoring ability, uh, frankly, uh, he, he opted to play Adrio Bailey instead because Gene Tulsilla never showed that he could make that leap to the, to the SEC. Um, and sure. Adrio Bailey, he I give it to him, kind of getting off topic a little bit, but he battled down low, and I had great, mm-hmm. great respect for Adrio Bailey and what he did last year. Um, Moses Moody, it, you know, it's kind of a, an interesting predicament that he's in because... I really believe that if Isaiah Joe had stayed, he and Moses Moody, you, you would almost have to start both of them just because they're so good. Uh, the the talent level uh, for that backcourt would be pretty, pretty uh, top-heavy. It'd be top-end in the SEC, in my opinion. Um, but now you're in a position where Moses Moody doesn't have a potential first-round draft pick to share the backcourt with anymore. So you have this amazing freshman talent with all this potential and he's kind of just being like here go go play in the sec and it's kind of that same kentucky kind of uh, kind of feel where it's like all right well are you going to be one of those uh super prestigious recruits who comes in thrives and relishes in this role and dominates or are you going to have to kind of uh, wade in the water a little bit before you start swimming and I, I really think that the biggest hit to Arkansas fans in losing Isaiah Joe was the possibility of losing Moses Moody in one year instead of two or three years. <laughs> I, I know that yeah. he's he's on a lot of draft boards already. is like twenty one overall. I think as high as seventeen overall. I just think if you if you put Moses Moody in a position to succeed and he does, he could he could be the program's first one and done.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was you and I that were talking about that through uh, Twitter DM. Uh, you know, when when Isaiah Joe did officially, re- I guess, redeclare, he declared, then pulled out, then redeclare. Um, yeah, listen, I mean, uh, you know, I I think my, my alternate to that would be if he leaves, that means he had a really really good freshman year, and if he does, then the team's probably going to have a ton of success and. And I think you know, you bringing up Kentucky is such a, a, I think a totally fair analogy, right? Because I've done so many of these interviews about Arkansas and your old podcast and radio interviews or whatever, and everyone always asks me, well, you know, well, at the time when Isaiah Joe was there, they had 13 scholarships, you know, all of them were filled, and well, you know, is that too much depth? Is there? And it's like, you know, is it too much depth? Probably, but at the same time, it's about competition at the top. Colleges, it's about competition, and you either sink or swim, you either survive or you don't. Um, you know, John Calipari, love him, hate him, whatever. Uh, I, I know people that have been recruited by him, and he'll tell you, like, yeah, you have a scholarship here, but we're not going to stop recruiting your position. He'll bring, in, he'll take a five-star point guard uh, today, and then if another one wants to commit on Wednesday, he'll come, he'll take the commitment two or three days later. And so, I, I think that's that's what Coach Muss is trying to build at Arkansas, where. You know, I, I think he's just like, dude, we, we're in the SEC. This is big play basketball, and we got to compete, and we got to get players. And so, to answer your question, like, I, I do think it's a reality. Um, I don't – by the way, I would say I don't very much buy into the mock drafts at this time of year.
0: Oh, yeah, I think for the sure. the mock draft – what's that? I said, oh, yeah, for sure. I, I just like throwing that out there, too, just because it no, is no, there.
1: No, 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 yeah, yeah, no. And I, I, that wasn't a criticism of you, but I do think the mock draft guys kind of default back to – you know who are the highly ranked freshmen coming in, and if you look at the mock drafts from June, July, August of last year, relative to how they ended up, uh, very rarely does it actually play out the way that the mock draft. And those guys work hard. If you talk to NBA guys and. Um, you know, and the other thing, too, is like guys just emerge over the course of the year, right? Like Obi Toffin emerged this year into mm-hmm. a first round pick. Uh, I can't think of other guys off the top of my head at this point, but I'm only bringing it up to say is that, you know, I don't know that I worry too much about mock drafts, but I do agree with your sentiment that if this kid falls out, he could potentially be a one and done. But I just look at it from the opposite perspective, Jackson. I just I just really look at it and say, if the kid does ball out, if he is the school's first one and done, it means he was probably really good. And that doesn't promise anything once you get to the NCAA tournament. But during the season, it probably means that he's having a ton of success and you end up winning a lot of games. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, like let's use the analogy of Mason Jones. I mean, if, you know, I think obviously last year, Isaiah Joe, there was there was always the thought, you know, could he possibly be a guy that leaves after a sophomore year? But if I had told you a year ago – that Mason Jones was going to be leaving after his junior year, you would have said, well, crap, he must have had a really good year. Well, yeah, he finished <laughs> yeah. second in SEC player of the year voting, and he probably should have been SEC player of the year. And so, you know, you, you've got to balance, like, do you trade the season that Mason Jones had for one last season of him? And you probably do, because if Isaiah Jones doesn't get hurt, Arkansas is in the NCAA tournament, if the NCAA tournament was actually played. And so I think you just got to look at it from the same perspective with Mason Jones, or with, uh, with uh, Moses Moody as well. It's just that, I think he's really talented. I do think college basketball is a lot harder for freshmen than, than most people give it credit for. Uh, it'll be interesting to see this year with all the variables of bubbles and no home court and no fans and all that stuff, how it either helps or hurts guys. But I just think, you know, I'm just kind of talking in circles here at this point, but I think you got to take the good with the bad of if it does mean that Moses Moody leaves after a year, it probably means that you were really successful and that he was really successful. And, oh, by the way, if there's one coach in America that's going to find a replacement on the the transfer market on short (laughs) notice if he does declare, uh, it's
0: probably Coach Mutt. Oh, yeah. And uh, obviously now he's proving he can land high-profile high school recruits too, which that was one of his big knocks when he was first hired at Arkansas. All the fans, oh, well, he's never going to sign any – We're going to have a team full of transfers every year. How's that working out? Well, he just signed his first four-star, or got a commit, didn't sign, but first four-star out-of-state commit, so uh, that's a big deal. On top of a top-ten class from in-state talent, so I'd say it's working out pretty well so far. I can tell you, by the way, it's funny that we're talking about John Calipari. I just in
1: Kentucky, I just turned on, I don't know when you're going to drop this this episode, Jackson, but it's right before the Lakers-Nuggets game. Uh, game three and John Perry's on the TV hyping up all his guys that are having success in the NBA um, neither here nor there but it's just you know it's just nice to see Cal it's, you know I haven't seen any of these guys in a while but um, so back to back to recruiting um, you know, listen what I would say to that is a couple things one the best players want to get to the NBA um, and maybe the best of the best of the best of the best they can now go to the G League or they can go to Australia or whatever. They don't even have to have college basketball. But for the rest of them, they're trying to figure out, okay, um, what is the, the the place I can go that will make me the most money the fastest? And, you know, as a college basketball fan, do I wish some of these guys stayed a little bit more? Of course I do. I mean, it'd be great to see some of these guys for another year or two. Um, but I understand the reality of it. But I bring it all up because, when you look at Coach Moss, I mean, you know, he's got a pretty good track record. I mean, at the very least, he knows what it takes to get to the NBA. He knows people in the NBA. He can help you get situated. He runs NBA-style stuff on offense and defense, and I don't claim to be any type of exes and savant, but I know he, he runs pro-style stuff. Um, and so I think that plays for high school kids, and I think the fact that, you know, he put Mason Jones in a position to potentially get drafted this year, I mean, that, that speaks volumes. Uh, I keep referencing the two kids that were at Nevada with him, Cody and Caleb Martin, but they're, they're both playing and thriving in the NBA. Very important role players as rookies last year. Um, and so I, I never really worried about the high school stuff as much as everybody else did. But then what I would also add on top of that, JC, and you follow the recruiting way more than I do, and you could tell me way more than I could you know, get, get in on, but just following recruiting and following all the good recruiting writers that are out there, Many of them, which have left recruiting, including my good friend Corey Evans, who's now with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, but like you know, they would follow. You know, they would tweet out or talk about or write about kids, and you know, you'd see a kid have uh, Arkansas on his list, and you'd see a kid Arkansas on his top ten, Arkansas is his top five, Arkansas is his top three. Obviously, all the kids that have committed in the twenty twenty class, and then chance more in twenty twenty one. Like, I just bring it all up because it's just, it's like it's not just that he's getting players and it's not just the NBA system, although I think all that is important, but correct me if I'm wrong, JC, I feel like I feel like Arkansas is in on kids that they have never even been in on before and I think you want to get every guy and you don't recruit to finish in second or third or fourth but I just feel like Arkansas, even at the high school level, is in on kids that they wouldn't have even bothered recruiting a few years ago, which again, I think is a testament to
0: Oh yeah, 100%. And the the thing about it is, the the coaches that were here before us, you had Stan Heath, you had John Pelfrey, and you had Mike Anderson. And of those three, uh, with on-the-court success, Mike Anderson had the most on-the-court success. But the crazy thing about those three coaches, Stan Heath and John Pelfrey were outstanding recruiters it just shows how mediocre of coaches they were when, when they were at, at the program. <laughs> and and I, I don't say it to be mean, but you had an insane amount of talent on some of those Stan Heath and John Pelfrey coach teams. You had top 10 recruiting classes pretty consistently. You had four and five stars committing out the wazoo to come to Arkansas, and nothing happened. No, Interesting. Nothing happened whatsoever. I mean, you had, uh, at one point... Uh, Michael Washington uh, was a four-star recruit from the state of Arkansas, but you're also recruiting guys like Stephen Hill, who's the seven-footer. You get Sonny Weems, you get you have Ronnie Brewer, Gary Irvin. You, you have all of these high-profile guys are just coming through, and it's not like a span of it's not like a span of a decade. Like these are year after year after year, and uh, you, you don't do anything. It was just the one of the craziest. Things looking back and seeing all of that. Now taking that to Musk, now you're getting a guy who develops his players. Because I I will always say that Mike Anderson was not a great recruiter, but he got a lot out of what he did recruit. Agree. Um. With Musselman, you're getting the recruiting that Heath and Pelfrey kind of had, but you're getting a coach who is even a better developer than Mike Anderson was and who is an X's and O's guy. So you're seeing the program, even in year one, immediately get elevated. And I think that resonated, uh, or resonates with a lot of these high school prospects because high school basketball players aren't dumb. They um, they know what they're looking at when they're looking at programs. They can look at track records. And I don't know how in-depth some high school players go, But you got to believe that a lot of the higher profile guys out there are like, all right, well, I'm looking at development. I'm looking at uh, how I'm going to be used. I'm looking at my path to the NBA and all this kind of stuff. But on top of that, one of the uh, more recent uh, pieces of marketing that the uh, Arkansas recruiting social media page has put out is showing growing your brand. And that's something that (laughs) must. Yeah, and Muss has been preaching that about the Razorback brand since he got on here. He goes, you know, I want to walk into a gym and be wearing that Hog logo on my shirt, and people be like, oh, Arkansas is here, so you know somebody good is here. Um, but also, they're, they're, they're putting out all this information over growing their players' brand, and, and it showed the, the exponential growth. And I'm not talking, like, exponential for the sake of hyperbole, but legitimate exponential growth of Mason Jones' social media presence. I mean, it just it went off the charts and and they kind of started promoting that kind of stuff like come to Arkansas and build your brand and that goes to being able to market yourself as a player and being able to get paid after playing basketball and after getting your education so I think all of that combined is really helping the staff but really helping uh all these high schoolers be like you know what Arkansas might not be that bad of a place to end up I'll 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 consider them like oh well I could actually see myself here. I'll throw him in the top six or top eight or top ten or whatever. Trey Alexander today actually just put Arkansas in his top seven. He's another four-star recruit from outside the state.
1: No, and it's funny because, you know, when I had Coach Moss on my my podcast at the end of the season, that was one thing that he talked about was, you know, I asked him, I said, look, you know, you guys – what I just told you, Jackson. By the way, I keep bouncing back between Jackson
0: and JC. I hope that's okay. I oh yeah, don't. I've it about
1: four times
0: now. So. <laughs> don't worry you go about it. By both, right? E- either way, yeah, I go by both. Yeah, okay. All right, uh, Jackson slash
1: JC. What I was gonna say was, what I know. When I had Coach Moss on my podcast, he talked a lot about what you just said. Is that I asked him? I said, you know, you, did, you probably needed a couple wins in Nashville to, to feel. But about a potential NCAA tournament berth, you probably would have made the NCAA tournament if Isaiah Joe doesn't get hurt. You know how do you evaluate year one? And what he said is a lot of what you just said is that it wasn't just about wins and losses. It was about growing that Arkansas brand, and it was about growing. Um, it was about it was not just about growing the brand, but it was about really establishing the brand. How are we going to play? Who are we? What are we about? And and what you said too. What are we about in practice? What are we about in games? What are we about on social media? And so, to answer it, to, 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 yeah, I just I'm seeing it from a distance. And like I said, I, you crush it on the on the recruiting stuff. I don't follow as closely, you know, as you do. But it just feels like if you're a player, I'll tell you this: is that one of your player – I can definitively tell you I've talked to people that have been in on a Coach Muss recruiting Zoom call slash, um, you know, slash on campus visit or whatever, and they say nobody is better about explaining what he can do for you, what position he'll put you in, what player he coached back in 1998 that plays like you, and let me show you film. And so that resonates with players. But so does all the other stuff. So does the stuff that you said, the the, the brand growth. And and that's something that love it or hate it. You know, we probably have some 40, 50, 60-year-old Arkansas fans listening to us right now thinking, like, dude, I'm I'm over kids talking about their brand. But that matters to kids. And so I, I do think that that's one of the exciting things for me as an outsider to watch that I really enjoy is, is to watch Coach Musk build that brand, to watch him be so active on social media and he's been that way getting back to the Nevada days. I just think it's a really, really fun kind of program on the rise to watch even, you know, forget even recruits, but as somebody in the national media who tries to follow all these teams, it's kind of exciting. You know, what is Arkansas doing today? What kind of crazy video is Coach Musk putting out? All that stuff. And so it plays into what we were just talking about a minute ago, which is that, yeah you know obviously wins and losses are important but it is about establishing a brand and it's about uh, you know making that that logo that hog logo resonate when you walk into a gym whether it's a high school gym whether it's a a, a saturday night espn game whatever it is um and so yeah I, I i don't even know if you asked me a question but i'm just excited about what i've seen in the last year and excited about where it could go here in the excuse me in the coming years as Coach Musk
0: gets more comfortable there. And so obviously you, you've had uh, plenty of contact with Coach Musselman, and we talked about how your relationship with him formed on the, the last podcast we did. So so you're familiar with his him and his playing style. Uh, one of the reasons, uh, and rightfully so, that the team isn't getting so much love right now in the early preseason polls, top 25 polls, all that kind of stuff, Um, A lot of that, obviously, Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe left, but also uh, 10 new players on the roster. With you having known Mus and and do know Mus a lot better than, than a lot of other people, and covering him in Nevada and all that kind of stuff, is that an issue for an Eric Musselman team to have 10 new guys on roster, or is that just right in his wheelhouse?
1: Well, so I think as a general sense, it's right in his wheelhouse. I, he tells a story. I don't remember the exact details because he didn't tell me the story. But uh, have you heard the story, Jackson? I think like he got his first head coaching job in the ABA when he was like twenty-four years old, and he made like twenty-seven trades in the first week on the job, or something like some crazy like that. I don't remember the details, but. I bring it all up because I think that, you know, coming from that pro background, and I, and I see it with other places too, right? Chris Beard at Texas Tech came from a JUCO background. JUCO background, you're constantly flipping over your roster. Kentucky, we talked about a minute ago, so many pros coming into that place, he's constantly flipping over his roster there. So I think there are some coaches that are comfortable in that space, and I do think that Eric Musselman is one of them. Um, but I also think it's, like, fair to say that this year – is just so completely unprecedented that I think it's going to be hard to really know. Now, what I would say was he obviously had a completely new roster last year because he was new to Arkansas uh, and had success. You know, his first year at Nevada—I I don't remember the details—but I think they won like 24 games, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm making that up. But I think
0: that sounds about no, right. No, I think it was 24. Um, I think they won 24. Yeah, days.
1: and yeah, and so I think it's where he thrives. But I think we also have to be realistic about all this is that this season is just so completely unprecedented where, um, you know, we, we've heard all the stories, and, and listen, we've seen it in football, right? It's like teams have to shut down practice for a week, you know, on, 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 a, on an hour's notice. Um, teams have to, you know, you're, you're just you're losing guys the day before a game in football with no notice, and, and, and you're just throwing guys into the fire. Um, and I think when it comes to basketball, I think it's going to be the same thing, is that, you know, under a normal circumstance, you would have your kids back. You'd be able to practice eight hours a week during the summer. And then you by now, we'd be basically set for full-scale practices. And we just can't have that right now. And so I think the, the advantage that Arkansas has had is that my understanding is is that the rules are uh, you know more uh, – lax isn't the right word because I don't want to be disrespectful to the health officials and the government officials. But it seems like watching just Arkansas on social media that they're able to do more than a lot of schools right now. So I would hope or I would think that, that would allow them to catch up maybe a little bit faster than some of these schools that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story, Jackson, it's like, you know, USC basketball, I was talking to somebody over there, they just got into the gym for the first time last week, okay? Um, you know, UCLA still doesn't have their players on campus if, if, if my, you know, the last person I spoke with is accurate. So I'm saying this to say is that I do think this is a year where the continuity will be more important on your roster than it's ever been. Um, And I think, obviously, that would be a disadvantage to Arkansas, it goes without saying. But I also do feel like that of all the teams that I've been able to kind of monitor from a distance, it does feel like Arkansas is one that has been able to get into the gym, has been able to put in really work, has been really able to put in work, and I would think that that would have an impact on their ability to kind of hit the ground running when this season starts here in late November.
0: And assuming we have a full season, crossing our fingers and and toes and everything, that we have a full-length season and we have an NCAA tournament, um, is it reasonable for fans to expect an NCAA tournament berth for these Razorbacks and maybe more?
1: So, the answer is yes, but what I would also say is... I think it's really hard to know because I think it's going to be hard to know like what like what is an NCAA tournament resume this year, Jackson? Right? I mean, like you know, some teams we're, we're playing upwards of twenty-seven games right now. We don't know is the SEC going to stick with. A tournament team uh, who isn't and all that stuff I think Arkansas is an NCAA tournament team. Um, and what I, my, my, my consistent stance on Arkansas has very simply been this, is that people say, people ask me all the time, well, are they a Sweet 16 team? Could they go beyond the Sweet 16? And what I would say is when they get to the tournament, and I believe they'll get there, um, they are going to have the size, the athleticism, to match up with anybody. I mean, and I, I really mean anybody. Um, and so... Yeah, I think they can make the run once they get there because you look at some of the teams that may be quote-unquote more higher ranked than they are coming into the season – like you said a minute ago, are they going to be able to run out a lineup that matches Vance Jackson as a stretch four at six foot nine with Connor Vanover seven foot three, Moses Moody, uh, Jalen Tate at six foot six? I mean, you just think about what Arkansas is going to look like walking into the gym, and I don't know that it translates to uh, an unbelievable regular season. I think it could. I think they could be really good in the regular season, but I look at the NCAA tournament and. It's such a matchup-based tournament, and it is to a degree a crapshoot. And I just look, and I look at Arkansas's roster, and I say, if Arkansas is healthy, like like there's nobody that's going to walk into the gym and be more physically intimidating than Arkansas is. So, <laughs> yes, to answer your question, I think they're a tournament team. I'm still fascinated to just even wrap my head around what an NCAA tournament resume will look like for a potential at-large team come next March. But I think they're there, and I think once they get there, like I said, they're going to have the size and physicality to be able to match up with just about anybody.
0: Oh, yeah. Un- unprecedented times for sure. We're looking at <laughs> top five, top ten teams possibly making the tournament as a one seed with double-digit losses because conference play is no joke. So it's it's going to be different, and it's going to be an adjustment. But if we have basketball, all will be okay.
1: Oh. 100%, man, 100%. And, you know, what I would say is I, I was never necessarily somebody, you know, you follow me and you kind of know my deal. Like, I always believed that we were going to get football. Um, and I believe once we get football, we get basketball. But listen, I'm not going to lie. There were days um, in late July, early August, even early July when the Big Ten went to league only games before they canceled the season then brought it back. Um there were days in July and, and August that I, that even as much as confident as I tried to be externally, internally, I said, man, I don't know if we're going to get football. And if we don't get football, we're not getting basketball. So, yeah, to answer your question, I don't know what it's going to look like. And it's going to suck because there's going to be games like in basketball, like in football, where we're going to have to cancel at the last minute and we're going to have to adjust on the fly. And it's going to be a big... You know, Tuesday night ESPN SEC game, and maybe it just gets canceled at the last minute. And I hope that doesn't happen. I hope the rapid testing is ready here in the next few weeks and that because of it, we'll be able to be in a situation where, um, you know, we can catch this stuff earlier and we guys aren't missing games and all that kind of stuff. But I'm also a realist. Back to what you said a minute ago, Jackson, which is just that, and dude, it just feels so good. To know that we are getting basketball, that we have a start date—something uh, that I've been consistent in saying on all my platforms—is that the people behind the scenes in college basketball, are working insanely hard, you know, every every day. We publicly hear about a new bubble, and I know about—I I know some of the people that are in charge are, are helping to put together these bubbles, and they are working so hard to uh, to get a season on the floor. Basically, Jackson. like I said, you're probably a little young. Do you remember Seinfeld? You're probably a little too young to remember Seinfeld.
0: Oh, I love Seinfeld.
1: Okay. Remember the episode where George uh, does the exact opposite of everything that he normally does and he has a ton of crazy success? Um, that's vaguely. Basically I basketball. do
0: vaguely remember that, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's basically college basketball. They've done the exact opposite of everything that college football did in May, June, July, and August. And now we're pretty confident that they're going to get a season. So I just give so much credit to not only the, the, the people at the NCAA, and I know it's easy to crush the NCAA, but I think they've done a good job there. But then also, you know, it, it, I'll be honest, man, it's coaches getting on the phone with each other and saying, how do we make this work? What do we have to do? Where can we play? How can we do it safely? But the sport as a whole, I feel like, really has come together, learned from college football's mistakes, And like you said, we're getting college basketball, and we can all be grateful for that no matter what
0: it looks like. Yes, sir, and I'm looking forward to the season. I'm looking forward to reading uh, anything you write and listening to the coming episodes of your podcast as well. I never miss an episode, so always looking forward to you you, uh, putting out some more more content. Uh, Just uh, closing up here, why don't you drop your – Twitter handle and the name of your podcast and everything in here so people know where to find you if they don't already. I mean, I think pretty much all of Razorback Nation knows exactly where you are anyway. But
1: No, I appreciate that, man. I would say, um, uh, you know, follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Um, The Aaron Torres sports podcast is what I do. I'm doing a lot of football now, but as we get into October and early November, I'll do a lot more basketball. As you know... Um, You know, I I don't want to, I'm not saying this to brag, it's just a fact, because I'm pretty plugged in in SEC country, and so uh, for people who do love SEC basketball, maybe even outside of Arkansas, you know, if you go back through the archives, I've had Rick Barnes and Nate Oates and Bruce Pearl on the podcast, I encourage people to go back and listen, but um, I think it goes without saying, dude, we just talked, uh, you know, we just talked an hour of Arkansas basketball uh, four days before the football team kicks off. So I think it goes without saying I have a passion for this sport. Uh, I love this sport, and, and like I just said a minute ago, I'm just I, I'm really you know it sounds corny to say, but like I'm proud of the people in this sport. We lost our tournament, this thing that we love, um, and people in this sport just said we're not going to let it happen again and and it's going to be it's not it's going to be a challenge it's going to be different but everybody in the sport is accepting it everybody in the sport is figuring out a way um and yeah like I said I think it goes without saying I if you've listened this far you can tell that I have a passion for college basketball Uh, and I look forward to being on the journey with you guys as Arkansas fans man I really mean it when I say like I'm genuinely excited to watch this team and see what they're capable of and uh I think it's going to be really fun to, to kind of
0: follow that journey Quick side note: The Rick Barnes episode is probably one of my favorite episodes you've ever done. So really great okay. stuff there. Uh, aside from aside from your Eric Musselman episodes, of course, but, but Rick Barnes was was fantastic, and you did a great interview as you always do. So just giving you props there for sure. Um, but yeah, we just okay. talked about we just what talked about add, an hour. real
1: quick, I want to give uh, Coach Barnes a little bit of credit on that. You know, I, I'm very fortunate. What I've done, I built a lot of relationships. I had never talked to Rick Barnes before we got on the phone that day. And I don't know if he was just really bored from being stuck in the house. This was back in April. So, I mean, he was definitely stuck in the house at that point. But he was candid. He was honest. Um, and, I, I like, that is one, honestly, JC, that I, I go back and look back on. It's one of the ones that I'm more proud of as well because it came together quickly and, um, And he was just so humble, and I'll tell you, you know, I'm not trying to poo-poo what Coach Musk does or what anybody else does in college basketball, but I can see why Rick Barnes has had the success that he's had, and frankly why he can go into a home and convince a lot of kids to come play for the Tennessee Balls because... He it was an incredible interview. I learned a lot about him, uh, and I encourage people to go back and listen. Like I said, I understand some people are diehard Arkansas fans. They don't really care about what any other team is doing, but I thought it was a, a candid, honest, real interview from him, and I really, really enjoyed spending time on the ball.
0: If you're a basketball fan or if you're just a fan of good people, that Rick Barnes interview is is a must-listen.
1: Yep, and what's crazy, too, about that one is, is that, you know, it, it's become a little bit easier with Zoom to kind of do face-to-face interviews and you kind of get more out of people and people get comfortable real quick. That was before, you know, maybe we knew what Zoom was, but we barely used it because I did that one by phone. And, uh, you know, he just, like I said, you know, I, I don't know, man. It was with one of those where it was like, oh, man, like, like, okay, I get it. I get, I, I get why kids love playing for him. And I don't know if he just recruited me and he just put his spiel on me or if he's that nice. But like you said, it was hard to come away from that saying like he either gave me the best recruiting pitch ever, or he's just a really genuine, humble guy, and I would I would say based on every story that we've heard really over the last twenty years dating back to his time in Texas, he probably just talks the talk and backs it up as a good dude and a guy that people like and so, so yeah, man, I appreciate you saying that and uh yeah, it's been I've been very fortunate, you know, obviously more so back in April, May, June. You know, just tried to find ways to use my time productively, put out good content that people would enjoy. That was one of them, but there was a lot of good ones. I did have Mason Jones on, by the way, in addition to Coach Musk, which I, I really enjoyed my interview with Mason as well. So,
0: Mason Jones was another great interview, of course. All the interviews that Aaron does are great interviews. I'm going to cut you off here so I don't take up too much of your time this evening, but I really appreciate you coming on again. Look forward to having you on again in the future. Maybe we can get a full episode just talking about Vance Jackson sometime here soon. (laughs) But yeah, I really appreciate everything, man.
1: My pleasure, JC. Anytime, man.
0: Have a good one.